0: All right, good morning and welcome to Kabal Cafe. This is a lovely Sunday morning. I'm going to say it's less rainy right now than it was yesterday, which is good. We're already on a good start. Um, I walked yesterday. I had a uh, Shabbat meal by my brother-in-law, and we got soaked. It was legit, legit, yeah. Anyway, but all good. All good in the spirit of Shabbat. Anthony, good to see you. Good morning. The, um, the culinary creator himself, Anthony, is back after um, a few weeks out of the country. So, Anthony, it's great to see you. Great to have you here. Delicious. Delicious, delicious. delicious. Unbelievable. Robin also. Yeah, you guys, are, you guys are a tag team. You guys are a tag team on The Breakfast. It helps food for the body, helps food for the soul, which is why we're here. To feed the body and feed the soul. All right, so let's jump into the topic. The topic today is interior design, and I'm going to explain a little bit of the context first, and then we're going to get into the actual, um, the actual content. So again, the context before content. Context is that we've been discussing how um, domestic activities have a spiritual parallel. So we talked about cooking and the spiritual parallel of cooking of being a chef. We talked about the idea of laundering clothes and how that also has a spiritual parallel. Today, we're gonna talk about two areas that have a spiritual parallel as well. The two areas are, number one, interior design, and as a bonus, domestic activity, we'll talk about a butler, what it means to be a butler, or pouring wine, or preparing wine. Um, So, if you like interior design, and you love a glass of wine, this class is for you because today we're going, to, we're going to explore the spiritual meaning of these activities. What does it mean? And again, the context of this is in speaking about the parallel um, or the, the analogy of a physical, a human servant of a master and a human being who serves God, just like a physical human being. Um, can serve a master, so too you and I are meant to serve God. What does a physical servant do? Well, the physical servant prepares the food, cleans the clothes, uh, uh, arranges things in the house, pours the wine, etc., so too this is what we do in our spiritual service, and that's, again, a bit of the context of what we're doing together in, uh, in these classes, and especially in today's class when we talk about interior design and uh, being a butler. By the way, the butler did it. Kidding, you know, they say the butler did it. Okay, so here we go. So we're gonna start off with the notion of interior design. But first, I wanna ask you the following question. The following question is like this. Is Judaism, um, does Judaism give space for individual expression, or is it about individual surrender? Surrendering your individuality to a common service of God or to a common practice of service of God, etc. What do you think? Do you think that Judaism gives space to individual expression, or is it more about suppressing individuality and conforming to the to the collective? What do you guys think? Individuality. You say individuality. Do we have any dissenting? Individuality. Sure. Team individual. You guys are all team individual. No one. Okay. No. Someone say I, you. I think it's- you think it's both? I
1: think it's becoming individual. Like the women used to wear a wig, a hat. Now they're going to a headband. So they're changing what they want to do.
0: Okay. Good. Good, good, good. Listen, I think, I thought we were going to get more of a not individual perspective. Simply because, you know, when you, when you stand in shul or sit down in shul in the synagogue, and you open up the prayer book, you're reading words that were not written by you. Written words, you're reading words that written by someone else. When you do a mitzvah, you're doing something that has been prescribed to do um, by someone other than, again, other than yourself. So I feel like when um, when, when it comes to Judaism and Jewish practice, you're doing things, saying things that you're not necessarily the author of, but you're the one that is conforming or surrendering to this, what we would call, let's say, higher will or higher calling. Nothing wrong with that. But I, I don't know that you would say that it's uh it's it's a very you know it's a very um you know uh strong individualistic experience. However, however, it is meant to be. So you guys were already ahead of me, or maybe onto me, as far as what I was gonna say. But I was actually gonna start off with saying that it's it appears to be something that is less individualistic, but but in truth, we can have more individualism in the Jewish experience, and here is how we do it. now? There, just just to give a, a, another introduction to this, so there is a section of the Torah that speaks about the offerings that were brought on behalf of all twelve of the tribes when the Mishkan, when the Tabernacle was dedicated. So again, just to walk walk us all through the the history to make sure we're all on the same page. So we can always start with the Exodus because everyone's right. We're all we all start there, and then we can move on. So the Jews were slaves in Egypt for two hundred and ten years. Exodus. 40 days later, we got the, sorry, 49 days later, we got the Torah. 50 days later, we got the Torah at Mount Sinai. And from that, at that point, 40 days after we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, we sinned with the golden calf. We had to repair that sin for a few months. After that, we got the commandment to build a mishkan, a tabernacle. Rosh Chodesh, Nisan, in the year 2449, which is two weeks shy of a year after... The Exodus. So almost the one year anniversary of the Exodus minus two weeks. That is when the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the portable sanctuary for God, is erected. It's put up. And from that day that it was put up, that that the ribbon was cut, welcome to your tabernacle, your your, the home for God in the in the desert in the wilderness. The first twelve days of the month of Nisan that year, each of the twelve tribes brought their offering. So the first day was was uh, the first day of Nisan was um, was the tribe of Judah Yehuda and then other tribes followed every day one tribe brought a special it was a, really a, a very elaborate uh, many different animals and things etc uh an elaborate offering on behalf of that tribe for that day. That's the way that's that's the way it unfolded. But the way the Torah describes it is it doesn't say that on day 1 Yehuda, Judah, brought this, um, brought this uh, offering, and so too the rest of the tribes brought every day. No, every single day is articulated. On the first day, this tribe brought this, 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 this. And it lists like a series of three, four, five verses detailing what it brought. And then it says on day two, the next tribe, or, or this tribe brought, and it lists it, detail, 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 12 times. And you read it, and you're like, okay, I got the point, they all did the same thing each day. Why are you telling me in such specific detail about the offerings brought on each and every day? It doesn't make sense. What are you thinking, what are you doing? Okay, so there's a beautiful insight that the Lubavitcher Rebbe shares that I wanna share with you. And the Rebbe says basically, in short, that this is the Torah's way of telling us that even though each tribe brought what appears to be the same offering every day, in truth, every tribe brought it in a different way. It had a specific intention and and an individual experience, which means that two people can be doing the same exact thing, but it can be a totally different experience. I think, maybe we can think of an example. You know, how many times was Romeo and Juliet, uh, how many times has that been performed? Over the years. I mean, or Hamlet. Choose your favorite play. It doesn't have to be Shakespeare. Cracker. Huh? Not cracker. Not cracker, exactly. Or even um, on a Jewish side, uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, Fiddler on the Roof. Ray, we were locked in over there, right? Fiddler yeah, on the what? Roof.
1: Too late.
0: Too late. Right. So think about how many times it was performed, and yet I would say that each and every actor brings a different energy to the role and different meaning to the role. So yeah, how many um, tevias have there been? There's been there's been a few. There's been a few. Every tevya brings a new tevya to the experience. I they're reading. I'm doing a Talmudic I I they're reading with a thumb. I they're reading the same script, right? It's the same lines. So shouldn't it be exactly the same. It's not. And I will tell you even furthermore, if you went five nights in a row to watch the same play with the same actors, it would be different. It would be different. This is the same person reciting the same lines with the same other people reciting the same lines and the same score and the same orchestra and the same, doesn't make it, it's different. It's a different experience. Okay, I'm not suggesting that you go and try this out five times in a row. You might get bored because overall it's probably the same, but you'll see there's a different energy. There's a different energy. You go to a symphony each and every night of the symphony, it's going to be a little bit different. That's the way it is, right? It's just the way it is. Because human beings bring an individualistic or individuality, this streak of of freshness and newness into every scenario. And so even though it might appear to be the same, it's very different. And that's why the Torah specifies 12 times in a row that this day, this tribe brought this offering and then says it again the next day even though even though it appears to be the same exact thing because in truth, it's not exactly the same thing. It's different. One tribe brings it differently than the other tribe and the truth is, even if the same tribe brought it 12 days in a row, it would be different because it's always different. It's a new day. It's a new experience. You know, the most obvious, to me, to me, the most obvious example of this is If you've ever studied the Torah portions, right, multiple times, multiple uh, rounds, you know this. Even with the same, (laughs) even with the same rabbi, you could study the same Torah portion, right, one year, and then you come back to it the next year, and suddenly it's like, it's a new Torah portion. I never saw that insight, or I never felt that, or, you know, I never really fully um, uh, you know that never really resonated with me until now. My eyes are open to this new insight, or this new idea, and, and the, the the real reason is not that the Torah changes, but that we bring in our individuality into the experience. We bring our because we're ever changing and ever evolving human beings. So therefore, the way we look at something and experience something is always going to be different because today we are different than we were yesterday. And by the way, the Rebbe spoke about this very often, that we must be different today than we are yesterday. If we're the same today as we are yesterday, that means we're not growing. And to not grow means to not live. Every living, the Rebbe said, every living being must grow, right? That the definition of life is growth. Even the definition of time, I believe, is change, right? If something remains perfectly static, you almost have a question of like, did time even affect that thing? So, the definition of time, the definition of life, is really this idea of change. And with change comes a fresh and new perspective. And so if you're studying the Torah once again, and the Torah portion, the Parsha this year, even though you studied it last year, it's going to be different because you are different. Your, your, your mind is different. Your experience is different. Your heart is different. Your eyes are different and therefore you're gonna have a different experience. When each tribe brings the offering, it's a different experience. And so going back to to my original question, is there individualism in Judaism? The answer is absolutely. Even though there's one liturgy, right? You walk into a synagogue, they have one version of the prayer book. Everyone's gonna say the same words today. And you're thinking, what? Stifling my creativity? What's up with that? Give me some freedom. Give me some, uh, some liberty. And the message is, you can have, not you can't have, that sounds like, still dogmatic. One can experience incredible liberty and individualism, or individuality, even in the same liturgy, right? You and I can say the same words, but they mean something radically different, the way I feel it and the way you feel it. It's like you and I, Lahavdol, reading Hamlet. Right or any play, or fill on the roof. I'm going to read it one way, you're going to read it, I'm going to express it one way, you're going to express it a different way. So it's important, I think, and this is a general uh, a point within, within Judaism, it's important to not look at, the, uh, at Judaism as that which stifles individual expression, but that which gives a platform for individual expression. Because how often is it that we sit down to try to write something, or try to think of something, and we don't know where to start? Judaism gives us a great place to start. Right? you ever have that experience? You want to write a letter to someone, you want to express something, but you're not sure how to start, what tone and, and which voice to use, etc. It's like, where do I start? Think of the Siddur, think of the prayer book as a great place to start. You already have words that are there. Now, all you have to do, all I have to do is introduce ourselves into that experience and infuse it with meaning and kavanah, intention, mindfulness, presence, right? That's the art of tefillah, that's the art of prayer. And I say all this because in our text, we're about to get into prayer and how interior design is kind of like prayer. Think about this. What makes interior design great, right? Think about, how do you pronounce it? Feng Feng shui? Feng shui? F E N G S H U I, Feng Shui. F E N G S H U I. So Feng Shui is this, uh, you know, it, it's Japanese, I believe, right? Anthony, am I right here? Japanese? You think so?
1: Asia, it's some. I think it's, Japanese. I think it's Japanese. Okay,
0: and it's. I think it means something like running water. It means something like like the flow of water. And it's kind of like the idea that there is a natural movement in space or two spaces, a flow of energy that makes something create a mood, whether that mood is meant to be fierce or calm or loving or academic, right? depending on the space you're trying to create. So imagine if you're creating a um, you know, an academic space. You want to create like a library and kind of, you know, it should be conducive to academia and learning. Well, your Feng Shui is going to be designed, you're going to design the space to have a certain, you know, a certain appeal. I came across recently, I'm so excited about this. Um, I came across recently, um, they opened up a restaurant in Boston. It's called Lair House, okay? This is, it's it's called Lair House. The subtitle for the venue is a tavern and house of learning. It's literally a tavern and Beit Midrash combined into one. So you can go there, you can get mixed drinks, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic. You can get foods, all kosher. You can get foods, they have this ever-evolving menu. The menu looks like a page of the Talmud. The menu's in the middle, and around the side, like commentary, it explains the various food items, where it comes from, the Jewish cultural significance. It's the coolest place, you Google it. It's right near, Cam- it's next door to Cambridge. L-E-H-R-H-A-U-S, Lair House. I'm not sure what it means exactly, but and then they have classes. They have a Beit Midrash. The decor of the entire space is books. I'm like, oh my gosh, this would be a dream. like I'm, I'm like so into this for Atlanta. I'm totally into this. Yes, um, it's it's created by the way. One of the co-creators of this space, there's, there's a business. Well, there's a guy and a and a rabbi who's doing it together. Um, so the the guy, the business guy who's doing it, is one of the co-founders of Safaria. If you know about Safaria, the online uh, Study has all of Torah on it, etc., or lots of Torah on it, So, on uh, this website. So one of the co-founders is this founder of Lairhouse. It's very, yeah, L-E-H-R-H-A-U-S. Google it. Check it out. It's, it, it just opened, I think, less than a year ago. It's all the rage. It's like the coolest place. you go be
2: stubborn?
0: Huh? No, yes. I didn't know about it. No, I didn't know about it. I was going to say I was there. I was in, but it's, it's bananas. I was there. Probably it's not Chalav Yisrael. So, but you still buy mixture. I mean, like for me, so whatever. Like I would still to check it out. It's very cool. Now, it's it's got an interesting. Like if you look at the classes, it's got an interesting. It's a bit of an eclectic thing, but Jewish and very cool. What's my point? I don't even know. My, oh, I know my point. My point is when you're creating a space, you're probably that they core yeah. right the art, right? Art, the art. The furniture, the pieces. Oh my gosh, they have the coolest piece. Talk about interior design. They have a, they have a I don't know what it is. It's two gold things that spit out a piece of paper. Remember when you used to go to a bakery and you had to pull a um, a ticket with a number on it or whatever, remember that? I, I know from a bakery in, in Pittsburgh, Squirrel Hill, Murray Avenue, it was called Pastries Unlimited. Well, I mean, there was a limit to the pastries <laughs> that they sold. It wasn't unlimited, but it was literally called Pastries Unlimited. <laughs> coach or bakery, and you would walk in, grab a ticket, and then they would call out the number. I was a little kid, would buy stuff you know, for my family. It was the coolest experience to grab a ticket. I haven't grabbed a ticket in a long time. Oh, I did grab a ticket recently. Oh, of course I did. I took my kid to get a driver's permit. I absolutely got, well, I didn't grab it. They spit it out from the machine. Mendel, yeah, he has a permit. I don't think he's been behind the wheel yet, but he's got his, he's got his permit. I know, I know, I know. Listen, it's no, no, no. He, I don't think he has access to a car in Chicago. And right now, a sled would probably be more apropos than a car, or uh, you know, a, a a pack of of dogs to uh, you know, to move through the snow. Hey, good morning. Thanks, Chinese. Oh, is it Chinese? Oh, there you go. Chinese, and
2: it means wind water. But, uh, Wind water. But, water. but it's idea of the flow. I'm looking for that word because I think that room has so much more fresh way
0: than this one over there. Whoa, wait, whoa, what? Which one? Oh, this? I think this room. Yeah, well, has so much it's a newer fair room. Fair right, right. so, so, fair. but it's right. So it's interesting. You can feel the energy of a space. Mm-hmm. We were talking about, uh, literally, because you and I had a conversation about this, yeah. about House. Uh, I told you the place in Boston, the taff. I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I was saying how they created a space that when you walk in, you know that it's not just a place to get a drink or food. It's a place where you can also discussion. sit down, discussion, you can learn a chavrusa, right? You can have a shir, a class. It's a place that's conducive. And and again, oh I was I Okay, let me finish my story. Great
2: to have a place like that here in Atlanta. I know, David
0: and I talked about this. Yes, you know what's crazy, David. I mentioned this to you, David. David, I mentioned this. So I say, here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. Like it's about over a little over a month ago. I don't. I don't remember the timeline, but I found this, and then you call me like a week later, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just saw this. And then somebody else. I know. And then somebody else. Last Shabbos in Toko, someone comes over to me and says, I have an idea. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So it seems like this is like, yeah. But together. here's here's the point. The point is that it has this little machine, two th- tickets that you pull out. One says, the world was created for me. One little piece of paper. Not a number. It has a statement. The world was created for my sake. The other one says, even a mosquito was created before me. And it goes back to a Hasidic Rebbe who once said, everyone has to have two pieces of paper in their back pocket. Or in their pockets. In one pocket, huh? Five out of ten. Also, also... Also, in one pocket, it needs to say, you need to have a piece of paper that says, the world is created for my sake. In other words, confidence. The other pocket, you need to have a piece of paper that says, even a mosquito was created before me. Human beings were created last, right? So even a mosquito came before me. In other words, humility. Confidence and humility. You have to have both. But this place, this warehouse, has a machine that actually you can actually take the two pieces of paper. It's like a, a decor item. My point is, the decor is not just nice. It's also meaningful, and significant, and functional, and it, it's, it's, it gets you to think. There's an art to creating design, to creating interior design that not only works with the space where you're trying to create, but also creates an energy, and an emotion, and ideas in the people that walk into that space. That is good interior design, where you get someone thinking or feeling the way you want them to think or feel. It's a tremendous thing. You walk into some spaces, and it's so neutral, it's like a blank slate, and you're like, okay, this could be anything. I'm not sure what this is. Not, not that it's bad, it's just, okay, it's just a little bit anonymous, a little bit, a little bit neutral. Places that are designed well, it's not just because, oh, it's got comfortable chairs, which certainly we could use comfortable chairs, but it's not just the comfortable chairs or a nice-looking table. It's a whole ambiance that's been very intentionally designed to create an experience in the person, within the person that walks into the space. And so what I, the reason why I'm mentioning this is, well, it's related to what we're about to, literally about to jump into in our text. But it's also the difference between uh, um, conceiving, thinking of a siddur, of a prayer book, as words on the page that someone else made. Or words on a page that are meant to evoke a, a type of feeling and sentiment within me that is going to be individual in other words it's going to be a very individual experience the way these words and these letters these phrases hit within my experience and the way they hit within your experience so i walk into a space that's been carefully designed it will evoke certain memories emotions and ideas for me that are a little bit different than you now it's still intentional it's it's about designing something that will speak to the person who walks in with interior design the same thing is true with Tefillah, with prayer. It's designed, ideally, not that we always achieve this in our prayer, but it's designed, ideally, to create an experience. Davening is meant to not just be, you know, a a time to, like, say a bunch of words, but it's meant to be an experience that we feel. In fact, the Talmud, the Gemara, says famously, it's a rhetorical question and then an answer. It says, when the Torah says, yeah, to serve God with all your heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to serve God? We say it in the Shema. Serve God with all your heart. Okay, my hand, I can wrap tefillin against tzedakah. With my nose, I can smell besamim in have What does it mean to serve God with my heart? The, Gemara, the Talmud answers, what does it mean to serve God with all my heart? It means to pray. It says, E'zehu What is the service of the heart? Prayer. And I think for many of us, that runs completely contrary to our experience. Prayer is an emotional experience? Are you kidding me? I'm totally detached. I have no idea what I'm reading. Even the English doesn't make that much sense, let's be honest, right? And you t- this is supposed to be emotive, emotional, evoke a feeling and experience? What? Right? We're going at the synagogue some, half the time, You know, in the morning, we're, we're knocking it off so everyone can get where they need to go. How is this? I don't even... davening is, without a question, the hardest, in my opinion. I'm going to say this without a question, and in my opinion, so I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of uh, qualifying it because I can only speak from my opinion. I think it's the hardest Jewish practice. It's not that hard to light a menorah. It's not that hard to eat matzah or to, hear, to listen to the shepherd. I mean, you have to show up, obviously, but it's not that hard. But to, uh? learning is easier. Even learning, right. How hard is it to learn and to understand something? But to daven is not just to say words. To daven is to have an, exper- an emotive experience. That's not easy. That's really hard. Because it means to be open and to be vulnerable and et cetera. And, and, and you know what? Not every time we open up the prayer book are we going to have that. What? Okay, What Ideally, we should, but I'm just being realistic. Not always do we have that. But at least we should know what it's supposed to be about. And so with that in mind, let's jump inside. It's such a beautiful text today. It's really poetic. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: In essence. So, what, I mean, I mean, that, so yeah, just, yeah, yeah, with dream, No, we're good. Nice it's, 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 sometimes
2: there's a um, you know, yeah.
0: like oh, no, So this is don't touch this. Is, load, don't places so, so I'm looking at it as more of a rigid interesting a rigid form of design. Like a museum. doesn't allow necessarily
2: for that freedom of expression as opposed to the lip, for example, which I haven't seen for, Right. From the sounds of it. Interesting. But, but maybe there's a similarity. But it, it, it,
0: so what I would say is I don't, have any, I don't actually have any real experience with feng shui and what it really means. So I was giving you my perception, my romantic romanticized version of what that would look like, which is not a rigid museum, like don't touch this, this is in the perfect spot, one centimeter over is going to ruin the whole vibe. It's more of like creating an ambiance where you can then, where it's then, you're creating a feeling and an experience for the person. I, you know, it's so interesting, Airbnb has a parallel uh, business, which I'm sure you guys know about, right? You can rent a home uh, or, or a, a room in Airbnb, but you can also, they have Airbnb experiences. Oh, yeah. It's like my friend, right, so my very, I have a very good friend, Uh, it's complicated. He moved and then his brother-in-law took over. Uh, Let me just explain. So I have a good friend, grew up with him in Pittsburgh. So he uh, lived in Crown Heights for a bunch of years and he started doing Crown Heights. Oh, it's called the Hasidic walking tour. It's It's a walking tour of Crown Heights where you get to see, you know, all the cool spots and understand, you know, the significance behind it. And it's, yeah, he's also a very fun and funny guy, so he makes it a whole experience. But they, call it, they don't call it tours. So you can book it through Airbnb, uh, but they don't call it Airbnb tours. They call it Airbnb experiences. And I love that term experience. It's not just something that you're doing, it's something that you're experiencing. And, and, and to me, it's not just a different word. To me, at least to me, it feels like when you have an experience that you're feeling something. You're not just doing something, but you're feeling something. You're understanding something. There's some sort of shift that happens inside. I think that's beautiful. So again, my my perception of this, you know, this art of interior design is where you're not just, you know, rigidly putting something where you think it needs to be, but you are um, you're creating a certain energy that is going to be um, that is going to be effective. Oh, Fran is writing. Feng Shui is a type of energy practice. You set up your furniture in a certain position, certain positions to maximize that energy. A, a bed faces a certain way to, in relation to the door, for example. Okay, so that's not that's not dissimilar. Sorry? From Fran, from Vegas. Fran from Vegas. Absolutely. Centrine says, hi, Fran. Can
2: I make a quick comment about this? Uh, yeah. The interior design that <clears throat> we're coming from Flatbush and Crown Heights and from Brooklyn, and then coming to Atlanta. To me, Atlanta expresses this exact thing, the way Atlanta is designed on corners and things are like there are niches and things are you notice how atlanta appears private like there's hills and the houses are and it appears like there's a privacy and a dignity in my opinion about how it things happens. are a little more
0: tucked away you're saying
2: it's tucked away houses are removed and it's
0: it you're happens. saying it's not like brooklyn where everyone's just out there
2: exactly brooklyn it's a grid everything everybody faces each other there's no privacy interesting and things are not on offset on corners, and they're not little niche, not little nooks that you discover. Oh, here's a whole nook back here. I didn't know it was here. So that thing kind of expresses this idea. And also, of course, the base of mikdash. The base of mikdash is a place. It's a place to express a certain vibe. Mikdash mat. and mikdash agadol. Mikdash
0: agadol. Gdash, the, yeah, yeah. The ultimate
2: base of mikdash will be that place to right. show to express elokus. Yeah. And that will be the perfect designs that will emit and elicit
0: that vibe I think that's very well stated because when we think about the temple it had furniture there was an ark there was a menorah there was a table but everything had its space and everything had its vibe Mariana jump in don't forget you want to say something Mariana but make sure to unmute because I think you're muted Rabbi? hey Annie uh, yeah.
1: I mean, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah.
1: That when we, we do things in our own homes that enhance our religious experience, that affects other people. Mm. You know, like having a mezuzah on every door. Um, you've seen my You're dying thing. Yes. I, I have non-Jewish people come into my house, look at the mezuzah, and say, what is that? Beautiful. And I told them this is telling us that God lives in this house. Beautiful. And they're very impressed with that. So so we we just incorporate our own personalities into the enhancement of what we're doing. Which I think is very nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. Yeah. Um okay, good. Good, good, good. Um Okay, all right, so let's talk about now this idea of interior design and the mystical dimension of it. So what I want to do for a moment, and Mariana, did you want to jump in or, yes? Oh, but you're muted. Here, let me ask you to unmute. Oh, you can't unmute? Uh, there you go.
1: I, I can't.
0: Got you, yeah. Yeah, you you listen, please. Yeah, yeah, we can hear you.
1: Yeah. Ah, yeah. Hi, hi. I love the topic because I work a lot in interior design. Right. And um, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's very, it's very important what you say because when we start doing the project, the first thing is to feel the person to feel mm. like like what it will be better for the person to. Sometimes it's like to heal a person or something like it's so connected the 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 environment, the the, the furniture, the 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 pictures, the all the the things into the the place when you go in and you feel something and you say I feel good. yeah, or you feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: beautiful. Yeah, exactly. It's and, and I love what you said that it's if you're helping someone create a space Step one is to get to know who they are, what's their energy, and what energy are they trying to convey in that space. And it's really, it's literally about creating an experience, and a feeling, and um, yes. and yeah, it's 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 so it's so powerful, um, and it's through it's art, it's through decor.
1: I'm, I'm very, like, touched. It's yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Listen,
0: as you know, we've been studying for years together. Everything is in the Kabbalah. Every We got everything, yes. including yes. including interior design. All right, so let's yeah. jump in. Yeah,
1: Amazing. That's amazing. amazing. I'm Feng Shui. And yeah.
0: <laughs> everything. Yeah. Thank, you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Pleasure, pleasure. Okay, so here we go. So let's jump in now so you can see the text um, on page 44. So if you have the booklets... Or the book, it's on page forty-four, and it's the section called "Beautifying the Precious Articles." Okay, so let's do this together. It says, "Beautifying the Precious Articles." Um, the loving servant also arranges the beauty of the master's precious articles. So again, in the in the um, muscle, in the um, analogy, he's talking about the various things that have that a human servant does for their master. He cooks the food, he cleans the clothing, and he arranges the beauty of the master's precious articles. Again, interior design. Dusts the furniture, puts things in the right place, arranging things the way they need to be. He gives two spiritual explanations of what that is. The second one is the one that I've been referring to, but there's also a first one that's shorter, but that we I haven't yet uh, um, kind of prompted, but let's, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously study it together. This refers, he says, to the vessels used in the deeds of physical mitzvot, where physical articles become vessels for divinity, and they are very precious vessels, since they are made through the refinement, etc. So that's it, but let me explain what he's saying. It's really beautiful. He says, okay, what does it mean that the servant is is arranging the precious articles, the kalim, the vessels in the master's house. Number one, he says, this refers to the physical objects that we use in performing a mitzvah. So every mitzvah is associated with a physical object. Well, I, can't, I don't know if I could say every mitzvah. Most of the positive mitzvot are connected with an, a physical item. So for example, putting on tefillin, leather boxes. Wearing tzitzit, a wool, um, shawl, and fringes. Lighting Shabbat candles, oil, or wax. Giving tzedakah, a coin, a paper, or a credit card. Right. So every, I, every mitzvah that we do is associated with or utilizes a physical object. That's not by mistake. As Kabbalah and Hasidus teach, it's by very, very specific design. What's the intention? The intention is that the mitzvah, the good deed, or the divine action, should not just be something that is conceptual, ethereal, um, metaphysical, but something rather that's grounded in the physical universe, the physical world that we live in. So, if we're doing, if we're connecting with God by wrapping um, tefillin, for example, we're going to use physical. Leather boxes from an animal hide to do that. Why? Because we're grounding the divine holiness of the mitzvah into a physical object. and that's what it means to create beautiful vessels in the home. interior design. This is not about necessarily you know where it goes, but the idea of creating vessels, creating a vase, creating uh, art, you know for the wall, creating um, what else is interior design? What else would you have? Furniture, whatever it is, calen, vessels. What that means spiritually is every mitzvah that we do makes a vessel and those vessels are precious because they are representative. They are symbolic. And not only symbolic, they, they are a testament to the, to the purpose of life which is utilizing the physical world in the service of God. So every time I light Shabbat candles or wrapped filling, eat kosher, put up a mezuzah, whatever mitzvah it is, eat matzah on Passover, I'm hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, every time I'm doing a mitzvah, it's utilizing a physical object of the universe, and basically making the declaration, this thing is also holy. It's creating a vessel for Hashem. So that's one implication of the interior design, and or arranging the beauty of the master's precious articles vessels. It means every physical item that we use for a mitzvah. But let's continue. And this is what I focused on in the intro to today's uh, in, in, inside reading. And that is about tefillah, about prayer and an individual experience. This is so beautiful. It's unbelievable. All right, let's go. It can also be said that these refer to the letters of the words of prayer. The, the beautiful vessels that the servant arranges and creates for the master, that refers to the letters of tefillah, of prayer, which are letters that have been refined. Letters that have been refined. You know what that means? Refined letters means it's refined, you know, when you, when you take metal, I think I said this last week even, when you take metal and refine it, it means you heat it up and then you melt it and you separate the impurities from the silver and you refine it again and again and again. You heat it up and you remove the impurities. You go through this purification process literally time and again, to separate out the negative from the positive and what you're left with is something beautiful. In other words, the act of refinement is something that is human made. When you, when you mine metal from the earth, it's filled with impurities. In other words, the natural state of precious metal is, there's precious metal, but there's also impurity within the metal. The human being is the one, you and I are the ones that actually improve the nature of the metal. We take metal that has impurity and we refine it and we refine it. And that's all born of human effort. Look what he says. As explained elsewhere regarding the difference between a stone and a brick. What's the difference? A stone is formed back inside. A stone is formed by God in heaven. Stones come from God and nature. right? God created nature. God created stones. Therefore, and therefore corresponds to the to letters of the words of Torah, since Torah comes from heaven as well. So he says like this, A stone comes from Hashem. God created the stones, just like God created the words of, of Torah. These are called letters of Mah. I'm going to get back to that in a second. A brick, by contrast, is formed by the hands of man, and therefore corresponds to the letters of the words of prayer, which are called letters of ban. So let me just pause here for a moment and explain what he's saying. Stone versus brick. A stone is divine made. A brick is handmade. That's the nature of literally the nature of um, of of the, the, literally the nature of of building materials. Is that stones are cut from a quarry, right? You have imagine. So imagine you are. Um, uh, what's it called again? imagine you're redoing your kitchen and you want you decide that you're gonna go all out and you want for your For your countertops. You're gonna use uh, what's a good stone for countertops?
2: Marble.
0: Granite quartz marble. Huh? Marble there you go marble granite quartz. So what do you do? Yeah, we're gonna get them to do so you go down you go down to um, uh, I guess to a showroom or whatever it is and they have you choose from the stone Which stone do you want I've never done this, but this is what I hear you can actually choose a stone um, or we may go to the to a quarry. People go to the quarry. I don't know. You go to
2: Lowe's. Huh? You go to Lowe's instead. you go to Lowe's, <laughs> yeah. and then
0: they go to the quarry. Exactly. Um, whatever. So you go or right? You go and then and then it, the point is, you, you, where does the stone come from? Comes from a rock. Comes from a stone. They cut it out and they and then and then they and then they and then they, they finish it and then they put it on. It's, it's not they refine. Well, yes, but it's 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 still natural. It's, it's, it's natural. What's a brick? A brick is, I don't know, a brick is clay and different materials, mud that you, that you heat up. Bricks are man-made. Bricks are man-made. They're not made by, they're not stone. They're really stone and brick. Stone is, 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 is from the natural universe. Pre-made. And pre-made, good. prefab, And bricks are not. Bricks are human-made. He says this is the difference between Torah and Tefillah. Torah, when you study Torah, those are not your words. Study Torah, it's God's words. But tefillah is meant to be your words. That's the unbelievable thing that he's saying here. Tefillah, the words of tefillah are like bricks. Man-made. Ah, you're going to tell me that, what do you mean? Man-made. I, man-made? I don't, I don't compose my own prayers. I read them from the siddur. That's the point. When you read it from the siddur, they're meant to be yours. They're meant to be infused with your feeling, with your experience, that they become yours. They become you own it. You created it. Torah, yes, you're meant to understand Torah, but Torah's oh, al- you're always meant to remember that Torah is the word of God. When you're studying Torah, a- as much as you're trying to integrate it into your understanding, there's also a reverence of I'm studying God's wisdom and will. Like it's 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 almost a surrender in that experience. When it comes to prayer, prayer is meant to be felt by you. We're meant to feel it and own it and say it as if we're creating it ourselves. When, when you get the script, again, Lahavta, when you get the script, filler on the Roof, and you, you've been appointed Tevya, you better own that role. Somebody else wrote those words, but you're meant to own that role. You're meant to speak it and sing it as if that's you and your emotions and your feelings. Otherwise, you're actually not going to play the role well. When you're studying Torah, you're not meant to own Torah, and it's your own Torah. Torah is... Yes, you're meant to understand it and be mechadish chadushim and come up with new ideas. Sure, sure, within a certain framework. But Torah is always meant, when you, when you say, say the blessing before studying Torah is, no se'in ha-Torah. Baruch ha no se'in ha-Torah. Blessed are you God who gives the Torah. Torah is always being given from above. Torah is always divine. Divine wisdom, divine information, divine will. It's always meant to be God's. Whereas prayer is our experience. This, he says, let me just explain one more thing here in the text, is the between Ma and Ban. Ma and Ban, it's not like Ma and Ashtana. Ban is not... Uh, ma and Ban are two names, uh, well, two forms of the name of Hashem. Ma, Memhe, is is the numerology of that is 45. Ban, the numerology is 52. And these refer to two different forms of writing out God's name. Now the gematria, the numerology of Hashem's name, Yur kevavke, is 26. But when you spell out each letter the way it sounds, Yur could either be the letter Yur, or Yur could be Yur Vav Dalet. Hey could either be the letter Hey, or Hey Aleph, or Hey Yur, or Hey Hey, depending on how you write out the letter so that you so you get a larger number of numerology, plus you can get different numbers based on how you spell the hebrew letters themselves how they sound how you phonetically write out the letter is a different numerology so there's four permutations it's a little bit more complicated than i want to get into right now there's ab sag ma and ban there's the 72 uh the the, the 72 number version of it the 63 the 45 and the 52 got it
2: thank you thank you yeah you. If,
0: if bonus time after the class I can write it out I just can't do it right now but I can write it out or point you in the right direction to see the you can just run the numbers and 73 72 63 45 or 52 so it, you would think it would go 70, 72 63 52 45 but no the 45 ma is actually higher than ban. Than, than, the, than the number that's in uh, the name that's 52. 45 is actually higher than 52. That's just the way the construct works in the in the divine, uh, in the divine hierarchy. The point of all this is to say that Ma, the name of God that's referred to as Ma 45, is symbolic of a top-down energy, whereas Ban is bottom-up energy. So uh, um, things that, that are imposed from above, 45, things that are developed from below, 52. So he says that this idea, that prayer, sorry, that Torah, are words that God gives to us that we are trying to understand, that's ma, that's top down. Whereas prayer, that even if we have a liturgy in front of us, but prayer is meant to be a personalized experience and a personal experience that we're speaking to God, we're opening our heart, as I said before, to God, that's ban. That's from below to above. Yeah.
2: So I wanted, just want to add something. It may, may help that um, since the, the uh, tefillah comes from Ajay Kanesha, the Gondola, mm-hmm. it comes from Rebbeim, Rab- who are people, who are men. So it's kind of like maybe the difference oh. between, between Moshe and Evesher, right? Love it. Love,
0: so, it. love it. Love it. Love it. What they, what they, let me just explain what you're saying. What David is saying is basically that even though we have a liturgy, who made the liturgy? Human beings. Who wrote the Torah? God. So even even if you have the words there, it's still human-driven. And it's meant to be further human-integrated and then driven and then expressed. Whereas Torah is, oh, we're always meant to have a reverence when we study Torah. This is God's Torah, that we've been fortunate enough to have access to. But it's God's Torah, it's Hashem's Torah. There's a bitl, there's a sense of surrender to the words of Torah, even as we're understanding it and explaining it and exploring it, it's still Hashem's Torah. That's how we, we remain authentically true to the experience. Prayer, even if we have the words from, you know, from a script, it's always meant to be us, our voice, our experience, our expression. If we're not, if we're not owning it, if it's not our voice, then we're really not doing it right. It really needs to be our voice. So not very well said. Let's look now at the three lines from the bottom of page uh, 44. Look what he says here. When the letters emerge from the depths of the heart in prayer, remember I mentioned before about how the heart plays a very important role. Emotion plays a critical role in prayer. So when they, when you daven, when you pray, and it's coming, the words are coming from your heart, they become precious and brilliant stones. Look at that. They become precious. Again, Torah is the diamond that's already in the earth. But fila, prayer, is the stone that you create. It becomes precious and, and brilliant. As in the statement, and look at this statement. I love this. This is so gorgeous. This comes from, where does this come from? Um, Amedrash maybe second let's see Zohar Zohar. yeah Yeah, Zohar it says Matat and I'm going to explain who Matat is in a second Matat okay Matat's an angel but we'll get to it ties crowns for his master i.e. God from the prayers of Israel a crown made of precious stones when we daven our words that we feel and we own it's our voice and my prayer is different than your prayer we might have the same script my tefia is different than your tefia. My tefila is different than your tefila. My prayer is heartfelt. When we daven, when we and we mean it, and we feel it, it's like we're creating beautiful stones. And those stones are made into a crown, are made by the angels, create, formed into a crown for God Almighty. Now, who is Matat? Who is the guy who's making the crown? Now, this is crazy. Check this out. Oh, I'm going to scroll over. Okay, for those online, footnote fifty-seven, right, right where my uh, little mouse is over there. Fifty-seven, Matat is short for Matatron, is the king of all the angels. That's what the Zohar says. He is God's servant, the first creature created by God, and rules all his heavenly legions. If you ever wondered who's the head honcho in heaven, who's like the big angel on campus, who's like the big, who's like the big dude, Matat. Matat is the big, Matat is the angel, is the chief, the chief of the angels. And it's Matat that, tie, that makes the, uh, the the crown from our prayers. Okay, all of that is interior design. Again, just to recap, and then we're about to get into wine. Anybody uh, enjoy a good, a good glass of wine? Yeah, so we'll get to wine in a second, and we're going to do the section on wine very shortly. But first, let me just recap this. We open by talking about interior design and how it's meant to evoke emotion, not just to create a functional space, but meant to draw out emotion. And we said the same thing is true in our service of God. When we daven, when we pray, It's not we're not just meant to you know, perform the, the act of saying words, but we're meant to actually have an experience. And that experience is beautiful and precious. And that's what it means that the servant um, designs the home of the king it means that we are creating an experience for god that involves heartfelt prayer now let's talk about wine let's talk about uh, a good glass of wine and uh, and being a butler oh careful careful good save anthony okay Tubby, okay? Yeah, definitely definitely take a rest. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 too fast, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, take, take a moment. Definitely relax. All right, well, we're speaking about wine, so you can uh, live vicariously through the relaxation of wine over here. All right, good wine. The loving servant also pours good wine in precious vessels for the master. Right? If you're a servant, what are you doing? You're making the food and serving the food. You're cleaning the clothes. You're arranging, you're cleaning and arranging the house, the decor. And what else are you doing? You're a butler also. You're pouring the wine in beautiful glasses for the master. So what does that mean spiritually? And here we go. So beautiful. Good wine refers to the inner dimension of Torah. Kabbalah, Hasidus, it's wine. This,
2: right here. this
0: what, what we're doing right now. What we're studying every Sunday morning. right? Kabbalah cafe. This is the wine of Judaism right here. This This is the wine, absolutely. As is known regarding the wine of Torah, etc. Now let me explain why that relationship is as such. And the reason is like this. Um, Wine, I'll give you more numerology. First of all, as many of you know, I love a good numerology, like the best of them. So when it comes to numerology, yayin, yud, yud, nun. Yud is 10, yud is 10, nun is 50. 10, 10, 50 is? 10 plus 10 plus 50 is 70. Seventy is also the numerology of the Hebrew word sod. Samach vav Sixty plus six plus four is also 70. So yayin equals sod. What is sod? Sod is secret. Sod is absolutely secret. Um, In fact, the Talmud says, "Nichnas yayin, yatsa sod. When you drink wine, when you take wine in, out comes the secrets. That's what the Talmud says. That's the connection, right? You have a little l'chaim, suddenly it's like, oh, let me tell you about myself, right? And not everybody reacts in the same way. Huh? Yeah, nichnas yayin. Nichnas yayin. hear you. When wine comes in.
1: We can't hear you.
0: Oh, hey, sorry, did I mute myself? Apologies. For how long? Was it for a little while?
1: It, it looked really interesting, but we didn't hear you.
0: Darn. I was talking about secrets. I guess it was... Meant to remain secret. I'm kidding.
1: You, you were keeping it.
0: Uh, literally keeping a secret. So, yeah, I was mentioning that the numerology of yayin is 70, wine is 70, and sod, secret, is also 70. In Hebrew. the Hebrew letters, the numerology, the gematria of yayin and sod are equivalent. They're both 70. And the Talmud says, nichnas yayin drink, When you take wine in, when you imbibe wine, out come the secrets. Take wine in, Wine incoming, secrets outgoing. That's the way it is. Drink wine, say l'chaim, and suddenly you're open and you're sharing. That's the way it is. Wine and secrets are connected. And so what he says here is, the servant also pours the wine for the master. What does that mean? What that means is, what that means is, one second, um, what that means is that the master is, sorry, that the servant is, is involved in the wine activity. What's wine activity? Wine activity is, very simply stated, the idea of studying the secrets of Torah, the secret dimensions of Torah, the wine of Torah, or the secrets of Torah, Kabbalah, Chassidut. what we study here Sunday mornings, all of that is the wine of Torah. We get our week started with a glass of Torah wine, is what I'm really trying to say. So here we go. Good wine refers back inside, right? Se- uh, second paragraph under good wine in the parentheses. Good wine refers to the inner dimension of Torah as is known regarding the wine of Torah, etc. Good wine in precious vessels. Ah, it's not just good wine. It's pouring good wine in precious vessels. What does that mean? It means taking your Kabbalah, taking your Hasidut, taking your inner dimension of Torah, and infusing it in the vessels of the mitzvot. We already said what the vessels were before. The vessels are the mitzvot. So that means when you do a mitzvah, you should do it with a higher intention. Now, it is true that intent in performing the mitzvot belongs to the realm of the revelations in Seder Hishal Shalut, and generally speaking, to the realm of the lights that relate to Seder Hishal Shalut. And in general, that is the divine service of tzaddikim, and would not seem to relate to the service of the servant currently being discussed, it seems like this idea of intention and kavana and and these meditations might belong to a higher level of of spiritual activity than the servant that we're referring to here. However, he says, in truth, however, there is a divine will for the revelations of Seder Hishal Shalut, namely that the light should be clothed in the vessels and by eliciting additional light one causes pleasure on high, etc. What he's saying here is that in truth there is For every single one of us, there is a calling to infuse deeper meaning into the mitzvot that we perform. So it's not enough to do a mitzvah. Our calling is to do a mitzvah with an awareness, with an understanding, what we call kavanah, with a presence, with an intention, with a meditation, as, as it were. Why? Because that causes additional pleasure on high. That makes the mitzvah more beautiful. Again, there's wine and then there's a precious glass. There's beautiful crystal glass. You take the wine, you pour it into the glass. Now it's something really beautiful. Take your Hasidus, take your Kabbalah, take your spirituality and pour it into the vessel pour it into the cup, infuse it into the mitzvah. So now I'm not just wrapping tefillin. No, 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 no. I'm not wrapping tefillin like a robot. I'm taking my mind and my heart, the two boxes, one on the mind, one opposite the heart. I'm aligning my mind and my heart to God. I'm wrapping my arm with God's name, a shin, a dalit, and a yod on my arm. I'm, I'm enveloping myself in a talit, in a prayer shawl. I'm enveloping myself in a mitzvah, and I have this intention in mind, suddenly I'm not just doing robotic mitzvah actions. I'm having, again, like I said before about tefillah, I'm having a mitzvah experience. And that experience is one that is enjoyable. And what, I don't mean enjoyable, like going to Six Flags. I mean, enjoyable, like meaningful, significant, right? It's, I can articulate what it means to me and what it means you know, for the, for the universe. And it's something really, really beautiful. And by the way, I will say that when you study a lot of Kabbalah and Hasidut, you realize suddenly the deeper meaning of the mitzvah. Many of these discourses talk about the deeper intention. In fact, our literal discourses talk about the deeper intention of what, what it means to daven, what it means to, um, you know, to uh, the cleaning of clothing, we said was to do a mitzvah. With, with joy, right? We spoke about all these things, and, and these are deeper elements of the mitzvah that we do, and that creates um, a, a, a more pleasurable experience, both for us and for God. So let's continue in the middle of that paragraph. Last word of the line is this. This then is the service of the servant through intent in performing the mitzvot. He focuses only on the pleasure that is caused on high through the, through the elicitation and the increasing of lights that are thereby drawn into seder hishal shalut. In other words, the person recognizes that the more investment that they make in the mitzvah, the more pleasure is triggered above and the more light shines down below into the entire spectrum of existence, which is called seder hishal shalut. His intention is not for himself, for his own benefit, that the light and revelation should be drawn into his soul, which generally speaking is what is meant by the service uh, of intent in mitzvot. Rather, his sole intention is to cause pleasure on high, etc. In other words, this servant—it's not about me. The more kavana I have, the more intention I have, the more I know, the more I'm going to feel, you know, the mitzvah. It's going to me. It's going to be so meaningful to me. This is a servant. At the end of the day, a servant doesn't serve him or herself. The servant is serving the master, which means that all the intention in the mitzvah is about understanding it better to understand how this action causes even more pleasure above. The more I understand it, the more I can relate to the pleasure it causes for God when I do it. And that's why I have the intention. And he does all of this so that the master should receive pleasure from the quality of his work and all these matters and the like. And this takes us to the end of today's reading. So I think today was, to me, it's stunningly beautiful. We spoke about two physical activities, and then we spoke about what it means spiritually. And I think far from being esoteric, what we studied today is immediately actionable. And let me just make sure that it's translated down so that we can act on it today, and tomorrow, and this whole week. And I wanna give a little homework for this week. So here we go, just to recap. Today we spoke about two activities, two activities. Number one, we spoke about uh, interior design, decorating the home, Beautiful vessels around the home, putting them in the right places, etc. That was one point. Second point, we talked about pouring wine into beautiful glasses. Good wine into, an, into a gorgeous vessel. What, what do these mean spiritually? Number one, to beautify the home and to put out the vessels means, we had two things. Number one, it means to um, infuse a physical object with a mitzvah action. To take physical objects and do mitzvah with them, that means you're creating vessels for God in the physical universe. Number two, to arrange them, we said, is a reference to tefillah, to prayer, where prayer is not just saying words. It's not just, you know, reciting someone else's words, but it's about owning it. It's about, it's the difference between stones and bricks. Stones are someone else, someone else made that. Bricks, we made that. Prayer is what we make, not just because, not only because they were made, composed by human beings, but because the way we express it is our own. So immediately, right there, we have two lessons for this week. Number one, find a mitzvah that you do already. Make it, we'll make it even more accessible. Take a mitzvah that you do already, and as you do the mitzvah, meditate on the fact that by utilizing the thing, the physical object, you are literally transforming the energy of this object into a, 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 a vessel for godliness. So if you take, again, whatever mitzvah you're doing, whether you're taking a coin and putting it in a tzedakah box, or whether you're wrapping tefillin, and I'm going back to the same ones, those are the ones stuck in my head, whatever. It sounds like there's only five vote in the world, right? But. Whatever. These are just examples that are coming to mind. But whatever mitzvah you're doing this week, whatever good deed you're doing, meditate on the fact that the physical object that you are using in the performance of this mitzvah is on a spiritual uh, DNA level being transformed into an article for holiness. That's one. Meditation. Beautiful meditation. Number two. Davening this week. Take one prayer. I, I, it would be very ambitious to say that the whole week of prayer should be in a way where it's an experience. I? And I'm not saying not to, but I'm saying let's start with one. Take one prayer opportunity this week, and even within that prayer opportunity, you know, whether it's a morning, an afternoon, or evening prayer, take one of the prayers, one paragraph even, even one line. I'll settle even for a line, right? And feel it, and mean it, and know what you're saying, and, and, and have it resonate. Have that be your voice, not someone else's voice. Own your voice in prayer and have that be like like really heartfelt. So that's, and then the metatron, right, metat creates the crown for God based on on those beautiful prayers. So that's two lessons. And then the third lesson is about pouring the wine in precious vessels. That's really also a two-parter. Number one, study chassidut, study chassidus, Kabbalah. Study the deeper that this week. I mean, we already started. We're off to a great start. Study some spiritual, Jewish spiritual wisdom this week, and number two, integrate it in the mitzvot that you're doing, so that you connect it. You connect the two points. I'm not just studying mystical information and doing mitzvot, but the mystical information is informing the significance of the mitzvah that I'm doing and I'm doing the mitzvah with the intention that this is going to be something beautiful for God and for the world and also to trigger that out to me but that's not the primary objective primary objective is appreciating the value of the mitzvah wow this is not just God didn't just ask me to you know do, to do this action this means something magnificent and when I know that it transforms the experience so this week again number 1 Focus on the transformation that you make in the physical objects around you when you do a mitzvah. Number two, pray with your own voice. Number three, study Jewish spiritual wisdom. And number four, integrate that Jewish spiritual wisdom into the action, mitzvah actions that you and I do this week. That is the homework. It's a lot of homework. So much homework. I hope you all are successful in your um in your homework this week and in your spiritual life this week that's that's really the goal that's why we're here every sunday morning to give ourselves a spiritual boost for the week Um, i would also like to invite everybody thursday night to my birthday celebration and party we're having a very special party look when i throw a party it's not just a party it's also an opportunity to learn so we have what we're calling an evening of wisdom and celebration I'm going to zoom in on the camera over here. I don't know if it's backwards for you also. If it's backwards, no, you can read it? Okay, cool. Just for me, it's backwards. I don't know why they don't like me. Anyway, an evening of wisdom and celebration in honor of my birthday. It's coming up this Thursday night at 7.30 right here at the shul. Um, We have a scholar in residence from Israel who's coming in on Thursday. Rabbi Judah Dardik, speaking about your six big Jewish questions answered. Great food, great drink, opportunity to do mitzvot, and to hear, to study Torah as well. Thursday night at 7.30. Everyone's invited. Everyone. Hey, Alex. Great to see you. Everyone's invited. Everyone Happy is. Thank you. Thank you.
1: We'll thank be, you. Will be with our love.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I will. We will say a virtual time together. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so great to see you guys. Did um, you own the letters? It's no, it's literally my birthday. It's Thursday night is my birthday. It's the actual once sunset hits Thursday night. 45. That's it. Huh? 45, 45. Forty-five. You are? Yeah.
2: You call. Yeah. Like
0: 20, again. 20. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's the nicest <laughs> thing. That's so nice. That's so nice. Thank you. Um, Norm said, "I don't look a day over 20." I'm like, "Okay." You said 25 or 20? 25. Uh, I said, "I said 20." <laughs> How dare you? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, all right. So that is uh, that is that. So everyone's invited. Tell your friends. We uh, listen. It's all a simple is always good. It's always better to celebrate with uh, with friends. So everyone is um, invited for that. Um, what else? What are the other announcements to make? I do also want to mention um, that, uh, you know, we, uh, um, uh, I hadn't meant had to mention this before, but a Raful Shlema to Fran's mom, Lina Bat Gittel. She should have a Raful Shlema Krova, a very speedy recovery. And may the learning that we, di- that we did today and that we will, the inspiration that from today's learning, stand in good stead for your mom. And uh, she should have good health and only, only healing. And of course, uh, let us say together Amen. All right. Thank you all for joining. Um, We started last week, by the way, I should mention, we started a new course called Advice for Life. If you missed the first session, it's not too late to join. It's an incredible course. The Rebbe's Advice on Life Itself. This week, we speak about family and relationships. Really powerful stuff. So consider joining us on Wednesday, either at noon or 730. If you'd like, you can reach out for more info. Otherwise, stay tuned for more stuff. Oh, I should mention, no one knows this yet. But it's going gonna, gonna to go out this week. Um, we have so many things coming up. So in a few weeks, we have a former neo-Nazi who is going to be speaking. We've never had him. I had one a few years ago. Different guy. Different. Yeah, I know. A lot of, a lot of unfortunately, a lot of people who hate. This is, so he's going to speak about his journey from hatred to healing and to love. And he's got the most wild story, huh? I was about to say he's got. There's a twist to the story that I'll let him share. Yeah, there's a there's a twist. To this his name is Frank Mienk, and uh, please God he's coming in just a few weeks. So and the information will go out this week. So look for that, um, especially in today's times when there's a lot of anti-Semitism. It's going to be very, I think, very valuable to hear what goes on in the mind of an anti-Semite. Like what's the mindset? Where does it come from? And how do we? What, gets, what ultimately gets through to someone who really is filled with hate? What messages can get through and crack that shell open? All right, that's all coming up in the next few weeks. Stay tuned for that information. All right, great I'm to see everyone.
1: Rabbi. have a happy birthday. I'm old enough to be your grandmother.
0: Listen, Annie, I am so thrilled that you're here. And we got to work on what I said about uh, getting you over for the class on Wednesday. That would be great. All right. I'm going to follow up this week. Okay, good. Um, all right, great to see everyone. Shavuot Tov. And um, only blessings, only blessings for you guys and for all of us. Take care. All right. I didn't realize that we were muted. I don't know how long it was muted for. It wasn't that long? I don't know. I just checked the, the, the comments. Everyone's like, I can't hear you.
2: Yeah,
0: Probably just a minute or two. She did.
2: She did. She did.
1: Listening to your YouTube. Okay, good.